one Munka S or Pepe Heart, right? That's what we right. Gotta do, right? What, one of one of the two. One of the two. Me. Munka S. I Pepe think I'm Heart. a little bit Munka S, and you're a little bit Pepe Heart. It's like I'm all about the Pepe Heart. Uh, all right. Let's see if it actually works here. Pepe Heart. Nope. And it cancels out. No. Nope. There's no Pepe Heart. Wait, are we live? I yeah, we're live. live. We're absolutely live. Yeah. Wow, my internet just must be like two dollars. One hundred percent. Monka S. Monka S. S A. All right. Let's uh, like stop being. Uh, let's actually like make a move. Yeah, um, like a, like so an actual show. Awesome. Yeah, let's make a show instead of just like uh, trying to repeat emojis over. over. We do that here. Uh-huh. <laughs> All, right. All right. Start it off, Jeb. All right, welcome everyone to Q&A session episode 9 of the CS Joseph channel. We will be answering questions primarily from the Discord. That's where if you want to ask a question, just hit Discord, drop a question in the questions for CS Joseph section, and that's where we're primarily going to answer questions from. We will, however, answer some from the YouTube chat. However, we will be primarily focusing on Discord. On that note, if there is a super chat come in, we will probably drop what we're doing, and uh, you know, since we're coin-operated, uh, immediately shift our attention to that. So if you want to do a super chat question, more than welcome to, you know, money talks, especially to coin operated jab. Yep. Jab the coin operated. That, yeah, exactly. And on that note, uh, any, do we have any announcements? Uh, not really other than, you can get books on our books list on the website. Just go to csjoseph.life and then click the books button. And there you go. Otherwise, not really. Uh, mm. We're probably going to be doing an email campaign soon to give people coupons for things and uh, probably send out a private lecture through said email uh, for people to uh, check out. And uh, if you're on the email list, you'll have the opportunity to watch that lecture before everyone else. Uh, which is probably going to be like by six months or something like that. So who knows? Uh, so if you're not on the email list, get on the email list, csjoseph.life, and just enter in your email on the front page to get access to those wonderful, awesomest uh, lectures. Um, we'll be doing about one lecture or maybe two lectures a month that you can only get access to through the email. I know I've been saying it before, but... Uh, we're trying to uh, maximize uh, how much time we have, and we got a lot of content to go through. And I think the particular season that will be made available through email only is going to be about cognitive transitions. So, uh, yeah. One of the good shit. Some of the good shit. Yeah, totally, totally good. It's going to be fun uh, awesomeness. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, obviously, uh, Yaa has said, how many licks does it take to get instead of a Twissy Pop? Um, Traditionally, it's three, but uh, I'm so masterful with my tongue, I can actually do it with one. So there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. Can't confirm. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sources. Sources. <laughs> Pixar didn't happen uh, millennial style. Great. <laughs> All right. And on that note, um, I think we're, I'm going to start off with some of the questions if we've got nothing else to discuss. So on that note, um, we've got a question here from Satnam Wall, and he asks, how can you overcome FE Inferior and TE Nemesis as an ISTP? 
So FE inferior and team e, TE nemesis. So basically uh, imagine like you're in a wood shop, uh, you're uh, working on your own project in the wood shop and someone else, like you're in a class, right? And everyone's working on the same project and you see somebody else in the class who's really struggling uh, with their uh, particular piece that they're working on. And uh, if you find yourself in a situation where you have the opportunity to help that person, instead of just walking over with your TE nemesis and being like, you're obviously doing it wrong here and let me do it for you, right? So that's the whole give a man a fish. When in reality, the ISTP should teach a man how to fish with their ENFJ subconscious, right? And wait for that person to fail first. And then upon them failing, the ISTP can then offer their help. And if the person says, yes, please help me, then the ISTP can show them how to do it right for this woodshop project. And at that point, they are focusing on helping somebody else and actually teaching them a skill and teaching them to be better than they are, right? Which develops TE, which develops their FE inferior. It also uh, means that they're not so worried about their uh, TE nemesis, worried that this other person is inept or incapable or potentially stupid at what they're doing in, um, uh, in the woodshop per se. And the ICP is actually becoming the mentor, the ENFJ side by focusing on helping this person. I've used this example like a million times, but I just wanted to like restate that here. And it's applicable to anything woodshop or otherwise, etc. cetera. Uh, but yeah, uh, ISTPs, they get smarter and more capable when they actually focus on helping people. Same thing with INTPs. They both have the same approach uh, to those things. If any, if you have TI here and you want to get become better and smarter and more intelligent than literally anyone else on the planet, focus on helping others and not necessarily helping yourself or at least finishing what other people are doing, show them how to finish it themselves because you're a master at finishing basically. And that's how I'd answer that question. Okay. Next question comes from uh, one of my favorite people on the server, Angelina. Is All it right. a bad thing to have a nicely developed demon function? I always thought it was because it is your dark side. Is it just a huge step in one's enlightenment? <clears throat> I mean, really, your dark side is your shadow, actually. Uh, but your shadow can get turned into, like, a good thing and, like, be an ally uh, with you against uh, particular obstacles. Your ego and your shadow can actually work together to fight external obstacles. When there might be internal obstacles, then you might be at odds with your dark side or your shadow, etc. Uh, but that's kind of where your dark side comes from. The demon function itself goes beyond the dark side. It's like literally the worst part of you. It is the human condition. It can only be developed as a function after you've developed everything else. You have to develop your subconscious. You have to develop your shadow. You're probably going to be a very much older person uh, at this point in time in your life before you actually start developing your demon function. The problem is, though, is that chances are is that if you're elderly, and this is no offense to elderly people, but they just decide to stop growing as much as like a college graduate. It's like, oh, hey, you know, we just finished uh, uh, our degree and we're not going to study ever again because we've spent all this time studying and then they stop growing, etc. And it's like, okay. All right. Yeah, what a waste. So I'm sorry, but elderly people do this too. They're just kind of content to eat their TV dinners and watch television with that, you know, stereotype. I mean, they still watch the nightly news, for example, right? Do, do tell me, do you know of a um, 
do you know of an elderly person that is a uh, an expert at Instagram? You know what I mean? Like, for uh, just as an example, like you could see how you know typically people are like, well, I'm retired now, I don't have to work anymore, so I'm just going to stop growing and stagnate, right? So it's the same concept. So do people actually really ever end up developing their super ego? Do they ever actually end up developing their demon function? Uh, you know, and uh, turning it into a better function from there? No, no, they statistically they don't actually because at some point in time they just kind of give up and uh that's that's a problem i i don't recommend anyone give up uh so you have to keep growing indefinitely uh now the super ego is basically uh so lin yan chin your super ego is in the dark side um it's the dark side of your dark side look at it that way basically so uh that's kind of how deep it goes yeah also, some nice hits at me there. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I'm going to move on to the next question. Um, this next question comes from Jim84, and he says, I'm an INTJ handling six major projects in a large institution. I have a mentally abusive ESTJ boss. Now, I have a really good job offer overseas, and I'm refusing a really good counter offer from my current employer. How can I know if I'm refusing because I know what I want, what's best for me, and I, or because I want to destroy everything around me, including myself. Super ego mode. Additional note, two of the projects are going downhill and nobody wants to do as I say. Well, chances are the reason why no one wants to do what you say is because they don't respect you. So you have to ask yourself, okay, well, what reason by which they have to like respect me at this point? Uh, so uh, Jab, to be honest, how I'm going to answer this question is, is like this person needs to seriously educate themselves with the season six uh, playlist uh, here on the YouTube channel or on uh, the podcast. They need to listen or watch season six. It talks about the four pillars of self-intimacy. Take responsibility for meeting your own needs uh, and then also uh, having personal standards, personal boundaries, and personal goals. Those four things, right? And uh you need to actually understand what your needs are and realize that your needs are what they are, you know, and if that means that you need to have uh, uh, small noodles instead of big noodles in your soup, then that's a need that you have. Right. And that is a personal and then a, you have a personal standard that maintains that you have to have those kind of noodles in your soup. There it is. And then you have boundaries for other people in your life that you assert those boundaries and be like, hey, those are the noodles I want in my soup. That's it, right? The right. same thing with project management. Like as an INTJ, it's like, okay, do I have my boundaries up? Uh, so it's obvious that his ESTJ is like seriously, um, you know, walking all over him, right? His ESTJ like yeah. probably doesn't respect him that much. Probably doesn't consider him useful. I mean, kind of reminds me of this this uh, mutual person we know, uh, Jab. His name is Vince. Uh, you know, and right. Vince, and Vince <laughs> definitely uh, <laughs> definitely uh, behaves that Good way. Good old Vincent. Good old Vincent. Yes. Good old Vincent. That guy that we would just very much desire to punch in the face every now and then. And uh, with that elitist <laughs> SE critic of his, so elitist. They're like, uh, SE critic is so insanely elitist and it's so annoying. Um, so uh, when in reality, they're like barely even productive themselves and they're all about how they feel and what makes them comfortable. Right. And as long as they look good doing it, that's okay. You know, and, uh, 
And hey, as long as everyone has what they want and everyone thinks I'm good, I'm good. I don't have to care about actually being good, you know. And then the ESTJ supervisor middle management person usually has that point of view at that point, especially when opposed to an INTJ, right? So right. he wants to know if it's a good decision for him to take that job or if he's leaving his current position for the wrong reasons. Uh that's a very mature question. But the answer to that question is, is have you developed the four pillars of self-intimacy? Do you actually know what your needs are? Do you have a personal standard? Are you enforcing boundaries? And because you have those three things figured out, do you actually know what your personal goals are? So is you going to that other job overseas actually in line with your real personal goals? But how exactly would you know that? Because, you know, you wouldn't if you did not know what your needs standards and boundaries were actually first right so that's i can't answer that question until he actually figures out the four pillars of self-intimacy and then guarantees has a foundation or a roof i guess of self-respect right because life rule number one above all else respect thyself and if you're not respecting yourself you're a loser i'm sorry that's just a fact uh so that's what he needs to do. He needs to verify first that he's doing this out of self-respect and that this is in line with his goals, right? Outside of that, okay, yeah. If, if not, then he's uh, doing it for the wrong reasons. If yes, then he's doing it for the right reasons and he should definitely go. Vaya con Dios, right? Same type of approach. Uh, definitely uh, something to go for. So anyway, uh, that's how I'd answer that question. Mm-hmm. Okay. And on that note... Um... If I might just quickly add something in, I would agree with you on the sentiment that I just, I feel like he's kind of getting pushed around in the sense that he gets, he's handling six major projects. It sounds like you're spreading someone quite thin. Now, I don't know about the resources of the company, but if you said yes to six major projects and that was not necessarily that you couldn't handle it, that, but that it probably wouldn't be a good idea to take on that much work that you're probably not enforcing your boundaries like and by not enforcing your boundaries you are giving the opportunity to let down people because then they're going to come along and say like oh you've only got five out of the six major projects that done you know what the fuck you said you'd have all six done even though it's not feasibly possible to get all six done (laughs) you know i don't know yeah i mean i don't know how detailed those projects are i don't know how big they are I don't know if they're just major in the sense that they're important, but that sounds like a lot of work to take well, at the same time. Well, yeah, but if two of those projects are failing, right, and it's because people won't listen to them, if that's the actual reason that he cited that, that this is a problem, it really comes down to self-respect, right? Because if you don't have self-respect, then those underlings will not be respecting him and those projects will fall by mm-hmm. the wayside. You have right. to, you got to check your own privilege. You know what I mean? You really just have to, your own personal privilege. I mean, I'm not talking like anything that has to do with like race or SJW behavior. I'm being like, no, you got to understand that if you are not taking care of yourself, then what the hell are you doing? Love your right. neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that. But what does that actually mean? <laughs> that means you right. need to you be selfish. You got to take care yeah. of yourself first. Selfishness, people. Selfishness, done responsibly, is a good thing. Provided it's right. responsible. If it's irresponsible, then, I mean, you're either overly selfish or overly selfless, right? Uh-huh. That's not appropriate. So in order for you to make sure that you're responsibly selfish, you have to have self-respect. 
and guard your self-respect forever. And to the point of you never allow anyone to walk all over you. And if they are walking all over you and you lack the power to actually do something about it immediately to them, maybe, you know, like for example, uh, if you're in a situation where, uh, I don't know, you're in an abusive relationship, right? You are choosing to stay in that relationship. You always have the choice to leave. Yeah, but then I'll be homeless. Good, be homeless. At least you're not being beaten every night, right? At least you're not being disrespected every night, right? Because your self-respect is more valuable than potentially living on the street. Like people need to understand that. Like seriously, welcome to the school of hard knocks. Welcome to the ditch where I have been so many times, right? I've been there. Plenty of you have been there. I mean, that's what happens. The difference is, is that if you actually do find yourself in the ditch, maybe you should have the stones to actually stand up in the freaking ditch. You know, when it's raining, cold, you're naked, left for dead, cars are on the street on the side of this ditch, driving by, they don't even care about you. But you got the strength to actually stand up in the ditch, get on the road and start walking forward one step at the time, right? That's what separates the men from the boys, you know, self-respect, right? And that literally is the core of personal maturity. You can't have womanhood. You can't have manhood until you've at least achieved that. And then af- after that, you start the path into manhood, which is what we talk about in season 13 on, on this YouTube channel. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And all right, Kanye, like that was a massive tangent. And on that note, I'm going to go back and say, like, how can you love your neighbor if you don't love yourself? You're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Now let's go on to the next question. Is it common for ESTPs to think they are ISTPs? What's up with that? Is that because of TI makes the ESTPs think they are ISTPs when they are in fact ESTPs? Thanks. Yeah. So uh, that happens all the time. Uh, it's because qu- the questions being asked on the MBTI tests that you can find online and whatnot, even the real tests are just not that great. And uh, people end up getting mistyped as a result. Understand right. that ESTPs and ISTPs, they're both STPs. They have the exact same cognitive functions, the same four in their ego. They're just in right. a different order, right? And you think the questions are actually designed to be able to, uh, to change like a certain... Uh, order like no like really right like do, do they well, no they're not yeah and even on that note like i mean if you consider the last letter of the mbti the j or the p basically flips all the functions around to the opposite cognitive functions like that doesn't match up in my head yeah for sure it's like you, uh, yeah all right um, next question. What, what's the composition of social cliches? The composition Which, of social cliches. Uh, oh, clique. But you, sorry, I am like English. What's the composition of social cliques? Oh, social cliques. Okay. Uh, usually from a social compatibility standpoint, uh, social cliques are made up of, um, you have your alpha, right? And that alpha has like a second in command. It's usually someone in high compatibility with them, uh, with everybody else in the group is high camaraderie with those two people. 
That's usually how a click is structured, psychologically speaking, when you're looking at type. So if you see like a click, and it's usually women who have clicks and men, not so much. Uh, but if you look at a click uh, with a bunch of women, I mean, doing like the high school scene or even in the bar scene, et cetera, just uh, figure out who's the queen bee, right? Find out which one is highest compatibility with her. And those are the two in charge. And then look at the other ones. And they're usually opposite, usually, uh, or, uh, or super high camaraderie and not actually high compatibility uh, with those two who are running the click typically. And... Uh, that's usually, um, you know, it's it's kind of a different approach as a result. Uh, the reason why it's structured that way is because the camaraderie people are looking as those two leaders uh, within the clique to be able to provide them with growth, basically, in some way, shape, or even if it's on a subconscious or an unconscious level. It's not actually something that uh, they need right away uh, or they're or like they're intentionally getting. Or maybe they they like the safety that they're that the alpha and the second in command beta actually of that group you know the queen bee basically and her lieutenant is able to provide so that's um, that's kind of like where I'm at with it. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go on to the next question. Are high TE men more likely to mansplain? Are high TE men more likely to mansplain? No. <laughs> Isn't that more of a TI thing? Uh, no, I mean it can be. It depends. Like the whole idea. Of, I mean, I remember this one time when I first started in March or like in February, but it was in March actually. And I was on Twitter, and there was this one girl complaining about men in general <laughs> about her boyfriend, and I tweeted her saying that she was wrong, and that actually it's because uh, her boyfriend. <laughs> has no compatibility with her and it doesn't respect her for XYZ reasons. And she's like, stop mansplaining, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I'm a TI user. Okay, sure. Uh, I've also seen many TE childs like ESFP men and ENFP men get accused of mansplaining as well. So I don't think it's particular to any cognitive function or any particular type. I think being accused of mansplaining is more of a cultural thing, a nurture-based thing, to be honest. So, But you mean like um, in many instances it being used as a way of shutting down an opinion that goes against you? What? A logical fallacy? What? No. <laughs> never. We don't. There's no logical fallacies here. We don't do that. Appeal to authority? No. Never. No. No, C.S. Joseph, you have no credibility because you don't have a degree in psychology. No. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Right. Charlatan. Charlatan. Yes. Snake oil. Exactly. Spinning like a tornado. What's next? Okay. Now, this is quite a long one, so I'm going to try and break this down for you. I noticed that nobody took you up on your offer to argue about macro evolution from your ENFP compatibility. Well, you provoked me, and I want to take you up on that offer. Can you explain why typology has led you to misbelieve macro evolution? Schizophrenia-related and other personality disorders may be the product of macro evolution in the cognitive sense. Do you not think so? Thanks in advance. Okay, no, because schizophrenia has actually been linked to be caused by poor gut microbiome, 
actually. And those, those studies and that information is available on PubMed. Anyone can go look that up. And in fact, the majority of psychological conditions out there are actually caused by poor gut microbiome. And we've seen that consistently over and over again. This is why they give people lithium because lithium actually has a drastic effect on your gut microbiome. And don't forget, you have a microbiome in your brain. So, you know, and they're in, uh, they're in uh, cohesion with each other in some ways. And what affects one affects the other because it's symbiotic. They used to think that the brain was sterile, right? Gotta love these doctors making decisions, uh, you know, from science and from the 1970s. I mean, it's 2018. Maybe they should just wake up, right? I'm tired of them talking about medicine from the 1970s. 50 years ago, people, like seriously. Uh, that being said, uh, mm-hmm. no. So Schizophrenia has nothing to do with macroevolution, has nothing to do with macroevolution causing spontaneous mutation and people's uh, psyches are mutating poorly. Has nothing to do with that at all. Sorry. Right. Uh, again, look it up on, uh, and no, I don't know who Owen Benjamin is, but uh, look up, uh, look it up on Pet PubMed. The studies are everywhere. Like seriously, go to PubMed. Uh, anyway, uh, now, Macroevolution. Why am I against macroevolution? Well, because guess what? Look at the type grid. Every type has four cognitive functions in your ego with a total of eight cognitive functions available in your mind spread across uh, four sides of your mind for a total of 16 cognitive functions, right? Then you have eight times eight times eight times eight is how many possible dimensions of cognition that are available to the human mind, right? And then you multiply that by four for the four sides of the quadra for the total possible cognition available to uh, to a human being at any time. And there's it's like, what, 512 or 1024 different bits available in cognition, okay? And that has been proven past, present, and will continue to be the standard of our minds in the foreseeable future, as far as I can tell, because that's how it's always been. Remember the first law of time, all that has happened before will happen again, right? So based on that, how our minds follow a specific structure every single time, and our psyche follows a specific structure and way of doing things every single time, I cannot conclude, I just cannot conclude that our minds our souls, our psyches came out as a result of chaotic mutation. I just can't because macroevolution is based on chaos theory, given that chaotic, spontaneous mutation led to human beings. And if that was the case, our psyches would be way more chaotic. We, there would be more extroverted functions in the ego or more introverted functions of the ego. Someone would be a double abstract or double concrete. We don't have a single type that's double abstract or double concrete. There's always a mixture, right? And it always follows a specific structure every single time. The ego inverses into the subconscious, the the unconscious inverses into the superego. It happens every single time. Yes, bad things can happen, then people can get stuck in the other sides of their mind, but that doesn't mean it's chaotic mutation, right? So as a result, of how our psyches are built. I have no choice but to maintain that macroevolution is crap. Microevolution is cool though. I like microevolution. Natural selection, see, yeah, that makes sense. Adaptation, yeah, that makes sense. But macroevolution, no, I'm not seeing it 
absolutely not seeing it at all. Uh, so, and logically speaking, if macroevolution doesn't exist, well, then the only thing else left, because, you know, I'm literally like Spock right now, and uh, Spock says, you know, using logic, the only thing left over that could be the possible explanation, well, guess what? It is the explanation. Well, the only thing logically <laughs> remaining on the field of macroevolution is eliminated is intelligent design. So sorry. Wow. I have no choice but to believe in intelligent design until proven otherwise. Like just based <laughs> off of using logic, seeing how our minds are structured and knowing that guess what? Logically speaking, it is impossible for our minds to be structured the way they are as a result of chaotic mutation. I'm sorry. No, thank you. I reject that entirely. So, well, I'm sure um, the church is going to have a few extra people in them uh, this Sunday. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> but like if Jesus Christ was to uh, come back to die on the cross a second time before he was making his way up the hill to go get nailed to a cross again, I'm sure there'd be tons of craters everywhere uh, churches uh, now stand. <laughs> so, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, whoa. <laughs> That was a lot. Anyway, the next question comes from Resonate222, and he asks, how can INFJs and ENTPs have the most satisfying conversation? How can INFJs and ENTPs have the most satisfying conversation? Yes. Well, uh, I think a very satisfying conversation between those two would be a good round of sexting personally. <laughs> Let's be honest. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, no, no, it's just as, as long as the INFJ is making the ENTP comfortable. And as long as the ENTP is given the INFJ freedom to do whatever they want and uh, the INFJ isn't being like overly self-deprecating uh, or guilty, uh, then there's not going to be much of an FE loop problem that's causing uh, the ENTP to feel guilty as a result because the ENTP should not be made to feel guilty in those situations. This is why it's healthier for ENTPs to be with FI users, but INFJs have just enough FI uh, and they're pessimistic with their FI, with their FI critic to actually respond well to the FE child. Whereas like the ENFJs with their FI nemesis, not so much because it's optimistic itself and that can mm -hmm. be an issue per se. So there's a little bit more latent uh, compatibility in there. Um, this is why I would maintain that like an INJ would be stronger, uh, you know, in an ENTP relationship as a result. But there's actually, but romantic compatibility is very different from sexual compatibility. And I'm not going to be discussing the specifics on that right now. Those are two separate algorithms uh, that, uh, you know, go together and, uh, and they have different ways of doing things. It just kind of like, it just depends on like what the goal is by the individual at that particular time. So uh, that's just kind of where, um, where that goes. Uh, but yeah, like everyone's trying to talk about, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, that the golden pair, you know, that that ENTP INFJ is the golden pair. Uh, there, I'm sorry to say, but like this whole idea of the golden pair doesn't actually exist, and I'll prove why it doesn't exist. Now, there are some pairs that are close to the golden pair, but there is no actual golden pair because you have yeah. this thing called human nurture that's getting in the way. 
So right. th that's where it could be a problem. So, uh, so we got a question. Uh, Jeb Perry Annie asks Perry -Annie. Uh, thoughts on nootropics and uh, cognitive uh, transitions. What do you think, Jeb? Well, I want you nootropics. to get a crack at that one. Yeah, nootropics. Is that like? misspelled like any use supposed to be nootropics or is that like a word of no no it's it's smart drugs uh for uh natural or synthetic substances that can be taken to improve mental performance on in healthy people gain uh, uh boost memory focus creativity intelligence and motivation they're kind of like stims um right right so that's like ritalin and whatnot adderall so I, I don't know, actually. I don't know enough about uh, those. Yeah, NCT48. Thanks. Thanks, Lin, Lin Chen. <laughs> well, it depends on the long-term impacts they have. I mean, they kind of sound like performance-enhancing drugs of the mind, but the problem is usually whenever you stick one of those things in your body, you know, on some level, you burn it out. So, I mean, I don't know of a single, you know, a stimulant or hallucinogenic drug that doesn't have some degree of negative impacts on your body. And even if you want to point to weed, that's still going to have some negative impacts on your body. And that's probably one of the least dangerous of. So on that note, yeah. I have to look at the toxicity of those things for making a statement on whether I thought they were good or not. And you can handle. Oh, I think the question is asking, how would nootropics affect cognitive transition? Yeah, so uh, given that I would imagine that the majority of them are stimulants, they would place you in your subconscious, basically. Right. But, uh, and it could force you in, in the subconscious. It could be pretty good initially, but when you're in your subconscious for that long without being able to go into your ego, you're actually causing yourself psychological damage in the long run because your mind is not able to rest. Your brain is not able to rest and you need to give it rest, Right. Uh, right. Not to mention that you also have additional problems with those drugs actually negatively impact your microbiome and could in the long run, actually, you could develop uh, symptoms of schizophrenia, for example, or those other um, bad, uh, you know, psychiatric uh, conditions uh, as a result of negatively, negatively impacting your microbiome. And it's as a result of taking those drugs on a regular basis, not something I'd mm -hmm. recommend. Right. Yeah, don't do drugs, kids. Uh, keep it natural. Yeah, that would be my exactly. advice. Um, let's go on to the next question. I'm still trying to understand what the difference. Again? Okay, I'm still trying to understand what difference which type is which sex makes in good relationship pairing, such as INTP. Sorry, the grammar was completely wrong. Uh, it's okay. Uh, I'm not going to answer that question directly because that's going to be coming out in a season. We're going to have a season mm -hmm. about sexual response. We're also going to have a season about sexual compatibility. We're also going to have a season about romantic compatibility. And each of them have their own, uh, uh, like those two things have has their own algorithms. And we'll be doing a lecture series on each of those. Um, so they will be coming mm -hmm. out in the near future, but not right now. We have to get uh, past uh, putting down even more of the foundation. So like season 16, season 17, 18, and 19, we got to get through all of that. And then we're going to be breaking into some interesting ground uh, season 22 and beyond. So we just want to get past that. Also, we have to finish seasons 10 and 14 as well. So mm -hmm. 
lots of good stuff coming. All right. Next question. What does the communication interaction look like between an INTP and an INFP? Sorry, communicative. The communicative interaction. Uh, basically, the INTP is telling the INFP truths. The INFP is trying to decide whether or not the INF, uh, they feel bad about what they're saying or accusing them of being too harsh, per se. And then when that happens, the INTP feels guilty about what the INFP says, and then they feel bad. And then uh, the INFP is already feeling bad because of how harsh the INTP said. But then the uh, INFP is providing reference points, materials to, in an attempt to guide the thinking of the INTP. And the INTP US TI hero is more like, well, I, you might be right. I don't think you're right because of X, Y, Z. And then it just ends up becoming an endless loop of the INTP really thinking they're right. Unless all of a sudden the INFP is going to go TE inferior aspirational mode on them with some serious uh, reference points and materials where they have documented proof that TI hero of the INTP is actually incorrect. And then only uh -huh. after doing that, the INFP in that exchange would actually really feel good about themselves. All the while, they're both making each other uncomfortable and trying to motivate each other to do something when in reality, they don't actually do not. So, Right. I mean, I think you left out a small minor point of the INFP uh, thinking that they're better than the INTP, and then they must be right. Another right. healthy. <laughs> Sorry, my own bias. Um, let's go on to the next question. What is the rarest MBTI type in your well, opinion? Actually, uh, Kelvin Caban helped me. I oh, hope I said that correctly. I probably did not um, say that properly. Uh, so can a ENTPT, aka turbulent, become ENTPA? Have you heard of an ENTPA's higher correlation with being a psychopath? What do you think of that? Okay. So first and foremost, I don't buy into the whole T and A crap. I think this assertive versus turbulent thing is basically just another way of saying, are you shadow focused or are you, um, or are you uh, subconscious focused, right? So let's, let's actually use the pen for that. So, so the, um, so like A or assertive, their subconscious focus, subconscious developed. It helps if I spell correctly, Jeb. It really does. Uh, I, I think so. You know, and then well, uh, you can't spell. I can't read. No. Yeah, yeah got the same yeah. problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. We'll help uh, each other in the. We, long need, run. we need some language art mastery. Uh, I think that would really do us a good, good, good thing. Good work uh, on that. Uh, so, yes, thank you, Stephen, for uh, offering help. I really appreciate that. Okay, so to answer that question, uh, basically uh, the correlation of being a psychopath. Uh, so that part, so if someone is really insecure, uh, they haven't developed their subconscious, um, that's that's a problem. If they haven't developed their subconscious, they're really insecure, which means they are more prone to pride. Insecurity is the source of pride and pride leads to vanity and vanity actually can lead to psychopathy, okay? So, uh, and it can even get worse with SI inferior because SI inferior can be super, super mega selfish as a result, kind of in the same way how ENFPs can be super depraved. Well, guess what? ENTPs can also be depraved and not as badly as NFP types can, but 
with who have um, you know who are NFPs who have FI plus SI in their stack, but that SI inferior or or even the SI child of an INTP, they can still be pretty depraved or more. Um, I don't want to say sensual, but it's just uh, they're just focused on pleasing their SI, and they do this as a result of their insecurity, right? So that can lead to psychopathy uh, because of their inborn uh, insecurities. People like to say right. that, you know, people who are more assertive and who have actually developed their subconscious, uh, you know, because people are like, oh, you know, C.S. Joseph, he's an ENTPA, blah, 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 you know, and it's like, okay, no, I'm just not here going to waste my time. Like, seriously, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not here to waste anyone's time, right? Uh, and it, that comes from, like, you know, having self-respect, developing the four pillars of self-intimacy, attempting to develop king, warrior, magician, lover for uh, the mature masculine, which is also what we try to do and spend our time on, et cetera. So all of those things, basically, yeah, that's kind of great but the whole entpat thing the ta thing i reject that theory entirely i completely reject that because that theory is not aware of the four sides of the mind it is not aware of people being shadow focused or unconscious focus or or a subconscious focused at all it has, it has no bearing on that it doesn't talk about developing their inferior function it doesn't talk about developing their nemesis function it is very nurtural, okay? ENTPA, ENTPT, or whatever type, TA, whatever. It's very nurture-focused. And as a result of that, uh, wow, like literally someone's calling me, uh, rejected. Uh, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make, okay? So uh -huh. just ignore that. Like seriously, ignore that because until they start adding in awareness of the four sides of the mind until they start talking about people developing their subconscious uh, and becoming a better person as a result, a better integrated person. Uh, you develop your subconscious, which makes you more happier. You develop your shadow, which makes you more mature, right? That's the whole point. It's uh, happiness and maturity. Um, so, you know, uh, happiness. I'm assertive because I'm making sure that you as a fellow human being are not inhibiting my happiness, right? Like that's the whole point. Uh, and then the unconscious, it's like I'm developing that and I'm more turbulent because I'm not going to allow you or myself to get in the way of me developing my maturity, okay? So that's that's the difference. So I reject it. And that's why, you know, literally that's where it comes. Now to answer about psychopathy, it really comes down to, Somebody who is just super hyper insecure and super hyper worried. They haven't developed their fourth and fifth functions. They haven't developed their second gateway or their third gateway function. And all of a sudden they hit midlife. They haven't had any development at all. They're realizing that half their life is gone and they haven't made any progress whatsoever. And then bingo, psychopathy takes over or they answer the wake up call and they actually start hyper um, developing themselves and becoming a better person. Okay. So, yeah, but that's how I'd answer that question, uh, Kelvin. Hopefully that answers your question. Mm -hmm. Very good. Uh, give me one second. I will get us our next question, which will be... Oh, we got what another is... question, Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. All right. What are your thoughts around the effect of sleep deprivation has on the mind? Oh yeah. Uh, sleep deprivation puts people into their unconscious. 
absolutely, especially since the unconscious is responsible for a person's maturity, uh, it absolutely is, uh, it puts them in the subconscious side of their mind. Uh, that's what happens to me a lot. I'm sleep deprived all the time. I get stuck in my shadow and right. uh, it, it's it's a serious issue. Also, when you're sleep deprived, your brain has doesn't have as much time to actually clean itself. It needs to actually have some internal cleaning procedures that happen while you're asleep, especially at night when you're following your circadian rhythm. Those are very important procedures that your brain has to go through to clean itself. And if it, it just gets dirty in there, which inhibits and changes your brain waves in a lot of ways. It, uh, it changes uh, your cognition and then your ego just starts bleeding into your shadow, your unconscious side of your mind, basically. And that's what sleep dep deprivation does. It's very akin. It's very similar to what drinking alcohol does as well or drinking alcohol, because it's kind of like, you know, it's like, wow, that guy's punch drunk. And then, and then you're told, you like, you notice your coworkers punch drunk. And then your other coworker says, oh, no, no, no. He's only just been awake for 22 hours. Oh, okay. Right. So it's the same kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I can see a nice analogy there between uh, resetting your computer's router for your internet to go faster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, now let's see if we can finally get to this question from another. And he asks, what is the rarest MBTI type in your opinion? Just curious. Uh, definitely INFJs. Uh, but that includes male and female. If we're going to split right. them up in yeah, genders, if we're going to split them in genders, it's going to be uh, NTJ women are the absolute rarest. Uh, with ENTJ women... And INTJ women, uh, I don't really know which one is rarer, but NTJ women definitely are insanely rare. Uh, yeah, I think I read somewhere NTJ women were rarer. Yeah, I've read multiple places that's the case. But you always have to question those statistics, right? Because they're not using the yeah. type grid. You know what I mean? Right, they just test the letters. Yeah, they just test the letter dichotomies at the MBTI, which is not exactly ideal. So mm. not, not exactly... Uh, what about for men? Uh, for men, I I really don't know. I I really don't know. Uh, Only NFPs, maybe. But INFJ, like INFJ men, are rarer than INFJ women. Um, that's for sure. ENTP men are rarer than ENTP women. Uh, and mm -hmm. then uh, ENFP women are more common than ENFP men, right? Uh -huh. So. INTJ men more common than INTJ, and and I guess that would make sense because we have you know these these uh, cultural norms where we think of direct initiating control interaction style and direct responding movement interaction style. You know structure types versus finisher types. Those types specifically uh, are more masculine or considered more masculine, right? So because I'm a starter type yet I'm a member of the male gender, I am considered more feminine as a result, uh -huh. right? So that's kind of like, it's kind of, well, okay, you know, is that is that what it is? And, and you know, and it's it's interesting. Just look at an ENTP, they have SED, but do they really know how to take a hammer to a nail? Not really. Uh -huh. I mean, they're the people who's gonna take their car into the shop and pay someone else to fix it instead of actually fixing it themselves. So right. that's kind of where it would go. Um, Aiden, Aiden, uh, <laughs> I got another question there. So, okay. Fair enough. Uh, wow. Uh, thank you 
sir. Yeah, high roller. I hope he wasn't <laughs> just like, you know, oh, I'm just going to do 499 and then it ended up a lot more. <laughs> so, <laughs> my heavy child is going to like feel super guilty about that. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I don't want to feel guilty, but that's all good. Uh, if there is statistically a percentage of each personality type potentially due to evolution amongst humanity, which helps me keep which helps keep society functioning. Will the change in society, i.e. automation, have an impact on percent of per change the balance? The answer to that question is yes. Yes. <laughs> the answer to the question is absolutely yes. And let's talk about why. Um, this is going to be fun. This is a great question. Okay. So, you know what? I think I'm going to do something I've never done before and use the pink one because it matches the color in the chat. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So... Let's, uh, let's make ourselves a nice little triangle. Okay. And right here we have the SJs. Okay. 40% of the... Actually, it helps if I pay attention to what I'm doing here. And then we have the Full. SPs. Yep. 30%. And then we have... NTs at 15%, and then you have the NFs at 15%. Although this changes back and forth depending on what the gender is. In some cases, you know, it's like the, the very, we're going to zoom in right here and what this looks like. And at the very top of the triangle, you have INFJ, right? If we're assuming both male and female gender at 0.5%. Okay, so this model represents planet Earth, the entire population of the planet, right? However, when you look at individual countries, uh, say um, Japan, right? Japan is a very NJ-focused society, so they produce more NJs uh, in Japan per capita than other places in the world, right? Uh, you have the United States of America. It's a very SJ society. Uh, same with uh, Great Britain, uh, the UK, very uh, SJ-related uh, society. Uh, Aussie land, uh, where you're from, Jeb, uh, mm -hmm. produces more SPs. It's a very SP-oriented society. So also does Africa, uh, very SP. We've noticed that depending on which uh, country it is in South America, it's a little bit different, actually. There's a lot of NF societies there, but there's also a lot of SP societies as well. Tons of SP. Central America, very SP-oriented. Uh, right. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, Russia is a very SJ-oriented society, very traditional with what they're trying to do. China, uh, they started out... Um, actually pretty NF, very NF a little bit. Uh, and then they went full on SJ and they just kind of pivot depending on what the generations. So if you read the book, The Fourth Turning, and actually we're going to have to add that uh, to the reading list very uh -huh. soon. The Fourth Turning, you'll notice that there's actually these four generational archetypes according to human nurture. And those four generational archetypes Actually, as the generations change uh, within a nation, it actually can cause the temperament of the nation itself to actually change. So these statistics, while they are worldwide, 
you got to take these statistics with some grains of salt. The first grain of salt you got to you got to consider is um, the first grain of salt is basically oh well uh, these statistics are based off of sample sets taken that were delivered by tests, and I'll be straight; those tests are not exactly exactly accurate because we we know they're not. If you don't know, watch season two. I explained that season two playlist. The tests are not accurate at all. So how do we really know that this is true? We don't right now. We will probably know within three years, for sure. Um, I believe I will have the analytics in my hands at that time to actually prove what it is uh, in three years uh, based mm -hmm. on uh, some research and some involvement with various think tanks. Uh, we should have the actual real numbers, and then we'll also be able to provide those numbers at a national level, et cetera. Uh, but we'll, we'll get, we'll get to that more in the future. We'll actually be able to tell those actual numbers. However, we have noticed so far, we can't, we can't prove the exact numbers, but we have noticed some patterns in the data that when we're looking at specific countries in the world, uh, and as those countries change their temperament through the development, because of the archetypes represented in the fourth turning. So you have the, the hero generation, for example, and that goes to like the fourth generation, which is the nomad generation. The Generation X uh, generation is known as the Nomad, and uh, the Nomad uh, is typically seen as like the most uh, depraved of all of the four generations. And then uh, the Hero generation is complete opposite of the Nomad generation, is, and which is the Millennials in this case. So as much crap as the Millennials are getting by the Nomads, uh, the millennials uh, are actually going in the opposite direction. And this is why you see food manufacturers, for example, going full on like organic non-GMO products and making sure that they have those labels and have earned those labels uh, because they know millennials just aren't going to buy them. Unlike Gen Xers, when we were kids, you know, we were fed Doritos and uh, manufactured foods like Cookie Crisp and Fruity Pebbles on a regular basis, right? Because we just... You know, and millennials know better for their children. I'm not going to feed my children that. The stuff that I was fed as a kid, you better believe I'm not going to feed that to my children, right? It's because that was just part of Gen X culture and it's part of the mm -hmm. nomad generation. We're part of the hero uh, archetype generation. The millennials are. That's why the millennials won't have anything to do with it, right? So this is the fourth turning, and we are in a new era because it resets when it gets to the hero archetype, right? And that's what's happened. And all of these temperaments of all these different societies around the world, everything's up for grabs right now. Everything is completely up for grabs. Uh, so with that happening, as we see the temperaments change of all the different nations around the world, these statistics could potentially change. Because remember, and we'll talk about this more in season 17, these statistics here uh, are largely decided um, – by, you know, it would be better to see, like, instead of seeing it by temperament, if we could actually see it by quadra, it would be so much more useful to see these statistics by quadra, because if we saw it by quadra, we could actually predict what the temperament outcome will be by knowing the quadra, because the quadra and which type you become as a result of the quadra is immediately decided upon what your human nurture is, what nurture you're experiencing. And if you're a shadow-focused society, then you're more likely to not really develop your quadra. If you're a subconscious focused society, um, so like for example, um, 
what 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 societies are very subconscious focused, right? Northern Africa is actually very subconscious focused, right? Compared to the UK or Japan or China or the USA or Russia, those are all shadow focused societies. So first world countries typically shadow focused. Second world countries, it's a mixture between shadow and subconscious focused. Third world countries are statistically happier. They're more subconscious focused, right? So depending on what their focus is also changes the numbers a little bit with the quadra. So as time goes on, these numbers can actually definitely change depending on the temperament on, of the society or even the quadra of the specific society that a person is in because the human nurture component directly impacts their nature and can change where a person growing up as a child, what position they are within the quadra itself, right? So I explained more about this in season 17. Uh, I explained a lot about this in Q&A episode one, I believe, Jab. I actually talk about that wow. a little bit more. But in general, that's where it is. But yes, uh, there is a way to change the balance. And it all has to do with human nurture uh, and how it is in equilibrium with the specific quadra. And then you multiply that by the temperament of the actual nation. And then you get these weighted averages based on what the actual populations are. But we don't even, we're not even able to prove that quite yet because we haven't been able to develop a way until now, a accurate way to type somebody, right? Uh, without using these, you know, arbitrary tests, without using these four letter dichotomies of the uh, Myers-Briggs type indicator, right? And since we're able to do that finally, we just have to get it everywhere and deploy it. And then we'll be able to get the statistics. Then we'll be able to collectively understand the human psyche as a whole and be able to move forward together from there and potentially actually improve our society everywhere we go or wherever it is on this planet. Who knows? But it's coming. We're working on it. Um, so please be patient with us. I hope to have an answer within three years, uh, you know, to those questions, basically. Uh -huh. I think I think that... That answers uh, his question. There was another, another. There was, and I have it, so I can read it to you if you want. Yeah, please do. Question comes from Aiden Weishness, and he asks, on a different note, as an INTJ male, you say INTP women would be the best match. Where might I go about finding such women? Okay, to find ENTP women, you have to go to where ENTP women go, basically. And... Uh, they're usually entrepreneurs. Um, so to uh, read the book, read every book by Gary Vaynerchuk first so that you at least have something to talk about with them. Uh, like, I'm serious. And there's a bunch of those books available at csjoseph.life. Just click on books. You'll see them there. Uh, I recommend checking that out. And uh, read Crush It first and then uh, Crushing It, a Jab, 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 Right Hook as well is also excellent. Uh, ENTP women can be very entrepreneurial or they could be like super mega lazy and, uh, you know, not really developing and be super stagnant. Obviously don't go for those. Uh, ENTP <laughs> women are very common. Uh, younger ones, not so much. So you, the older ones, uh, they're into hiking. Uh, they're developing their ISFJ subconscious, uh, uh, into weightlifting as well as they develop, uh, and martial arts go to martial arts. The women you meet there are going to be SFJs or NTPs. You're really going to find one there in martial arts areas. Also go to meetup groups that specialize in politics and philosophy or anything that has to do, anything to do with debate 
or speech speeches. Uh, Toastmasters is also an excellent place to find an ENTP women or woman. So that's where I would recommend that you go uh, to find them for sure. All right. Um, let's go with the next question, which was, uh, all right. Now this is going to be an easy one for you. You've answered basically this question, but with different types, like at least four times now, but you know, maybe we can keep it brief and simple. Okay. And this person asks, why is ESFP slash INTJ relationship such a bad idea? Why is the concept of socionics dichotomy considered ill-advised? Also, how to seduce ESFPs. So, why is socionics wrong on compatibility? Why is socionics wrong on compatibility? Well, because socionics wants you to, quote, be with your polar opposite. The problem is, is that your polar opposite is too similar to you. That's the problem. Uh, mm. So it's like, ooh, I'm an ESFP. And hey, guys, look at this really cool pink pen. Isn't it great? It has this awesome, cool pink color and and the intj is like hey man i want to show you my really cool uh my headphones no i want to show you my pen first but i want to show you this no i want to show you the pen first no i want to show and it's just like becomes this competition of who's going to show who what and then their feelings <laughs> are going to get hurt and they're like well you just hurt my feelings no actually you hurt my feelings right well you need to right. think this well, I don't know anything about that, but you need to think this. And it's like, okay, who's going to out-rationale the other? I have all these reference points that say you're wrong. Well, your reference points are untrue because of these reference points I found. Wow. You know, or... Right. just conflict, conflict, conflict. Constant conflict. It's, it's, like, it's like, see, it's, it's like you have two yangs in a relationship and no yin. That's what that is. Yin requires, mm -hmm. like, so... Masculine, feminine energy, yin, yin and yang. Yin is the feminine energy. It's all about being pliable, able to bend without breaking to the situation. It's like being like water, right? Okay. Whereas yang is firm, right? And uh, yang, yang energy, uh, you know, kind of like, um, kind of like the, uh, you know, like, like, like the earth, but it's, it's also fire. It's also fire and it burns and it consumes. It's very focused. Um, and uh, the wind blows. It wants to show things with the wind, etc. Like you're just going to end up when you put a turbulent storm with a turbulent storm, what's going to happen? It's just going to be a bigger turbulent storm. When in reality is here's the type of relationship you want. You want an NE user with an NI user because the NE user gives the NI user the freedom to do whatever they want. When the NE user ends up being obligated by the NI user's SE, and then that person becomes loyal to the SE user. Okay. See, that actually makes sense. Or the TI user goes with the TE user because the TE user can guide the TI. Or the TI user can prove wrong the TE. Or the TE user can always go to the TI and ask them for advice or for help. And the FE side of the TI would help the other person. And that other person would feel good. See, that's what a real relationship is supposed to be about. You know, a yin and yang equilibrium instead of, you know, I'm yang, so I'm firm in this stance. Well, I'm Yang too, and I'm firm on this stance too. Well, then who's right? Well, I'm obviously right. No, actually, you're wrong. I'm actually right. And then it just turns into conflict. I mean, okay, so that's what duality really is. That's what socionics teaches. Socionics, I'm sorry, it's wrong. You know, now, that's not to say that those relationships are possible. It just takes a super high amount of effort self-discipline, willpower, and understanding, and an immense amount of communication. 
Whereas if you get with somebody who you are super compatible with cognitive function wise, you literally could finish each other's sentences. You mm -hmm. literally have the ability to see into each other's minds and understand each other's needs, wants, desires, uh, standards, boundaries, goals, all of it, and are able to, without letting go of your self-respect, respect them and love them, right? And it allows you to be responsibly selfish in that relationship so that your needs are being met. Whereas in a duality situation, you don't even have that opportunity. So right. yeah, definitely not what I would recommend. Next question is Hold on. any advice? Hold on. Oh. I want to address somebody in the uh, chat. Foyt Dags asks, isn't ENTJ opposite of INTP, which he's saying is probably not a good idea. No. No, it is not opposite of INTP. What's opposite of ENTJ is obviously ISFP. So the E versus I, the N versus S, the T versus F, the J versus P, right? That's opposite. Okay? Right. So the ISFP is the opposite of the ENTJ, not INTP. INTP, though it can be a nemesis or a villain to the ENTJ, in a romantic relationship, they're actually the strongest ally of the ENTJ, actually, mm -hmm. right? So All right. I got to debunk that whole like, oh, you know, uh, the, the shadow uh, functions are obviously your opposite. You don't want to get in a relationship with them. Uh, wrong. That's actually very wrong. And people are saying that they're out of their they're out of their mind. Like seriously, don't listen to anyone saying duality is how where it goes. No, thank you. Right. No, thank you, Eric Strauss. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, on that note, I mean, you. I forgot which season it was, but you gave a lecture on how TI and TE works at sorry how season introverted five. Work and how like ones are sending and ones are receiving, and basically, even though the shadow has like. So like ENTJ, INTP, even though your hero is going to be the introverted and extroverted between the types and then your parent, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, you're basically sending and receiving on the exact same level for each uh, stack. And that is where the combati compatibility comes from because you're not missing anything. You don't have a strong TE beating up on a TI inferior or a TI critic. Or like in the case of... Um, duality relationship an ENTJ with an ISFP what's that TE hero beating up on like um, was that TI demon it's like that's just one way to piss someone off yeah it's so much effort it takes so much energy like would it be nice to not have to climb a mountain together to get to the top to reach each other and even then as you're climbing your side of the mountain is the other person climbing their side of the mountain are they putting as much effort in you as you are are you going to get the top before they do or are they going to get the top before you do and then because of that resent you for it you know what i mean yeah. how about we have a downhill relationship we're actually it's very easy to go downhill and it's very easy for us to and they and we see the other person coming downhill as much as we are and that just encourages us to keep moving even more downhill whereas yeah. uphill you can't see the other person until you get to the top. What if they get up there first, right? right? You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's horrible. Duality is a lie. Like, duality is absolutely a lie. Um, no, it's wrong. It is debunked. Right. It is debunked. <laughs> All right. Next question. This person asks, any advice for an INFJ looking to find NFPs in a college setting? Yes, absolutely. If you want to find NFPs to uh, have a good Anime relationship. Club. 
<laughs> yeah, anime club. Okay, thank you, Jab, for that one. That's actually good <laughs> advice. <laughs> That's actually very good advice. Uh, yeah, you'll find NFPs hardcore in uh, anime club for sure. And uh, um, yeah, comic book stores. Yes, uh, Robert Potts, you're absolutely correct about that one. And thank you, Potts, for being awesome. NFPs is they can actually be really easy to spot. You just got to figure out the look they go for, and the look they go for is. Pretty or cute. Pretty or cute. They try and shy away from sexy, but they go for pretty and or cute. So if you see someone who seems a bit pretty, old-fashioned, like beauty. Yeah, if you maybe, die you of know, cute around them, chances are they're an NFT. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, also, but what, what can you do as a college INFJ student to find an NFP woman? I'll tell you right now. The answer is volunteer. Literally volunteer for everything. Volunteer for all the rallies, volunteer for anything with community service, volunteer, 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 any of those events. NFPs are always involved in volunteering and helping other people, at least they should be, et cetera. Or why not become that person that starts that thing that runs that, uh, runs the Mm -hmm. volunteering and runs those events. And then the NFPs will sign up for that and they'll actually technically be under you. And then as you, as the INFJ who's running this particular volunteer work at the time, you get the pick of the litter. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> good uh good advice right there for you yeah i was gonna say something but i forgot what i was gonna say so on that note let's just move on <laughs> all right so the next question is intj do you think a romantic relationship with an istj female is a potentially good relationship and what should we keep focus on i've been able to teach her about cognitive functions so we are both aware of our si demon and ni demon Another question is, why do you think George Carlin is now? Well, we'll go on to that next up if you want to answer that. Is that the why is George Carlin an ENTP question? Yeah. <laughs> we'll actually do a George Carlin how to type episode, and that's how I'll answer that question, but not, not today. Right. Uh, ISTJ and INTJ relationship? Eh, no, because the ISTJ is probably going to be questioning consistently whether or not the INTJ is actually intelligent. And uh, also um, always going to be seeing uh, the INTJ as potentially someone who either wants too much or does not want enough. Uh, Like it's always extremes. And ISTJs want to feel wanted. They always want to be desired. Them feeling desired is like the most important thing to them. And although the INTJ can direct NI hero in their direction, uh, they would have to really develop their experted sensing aspirational to really make it with an ISTJ, uh, you know, mm-hmm. well enough. But then again, the ISTJ, if it's an ISTJ woman, would be really struggling from the respect side of things. Okay, if you don't know about love and respect and how intimate relationships actually work, if you're a member of this audience, you need to be listening to season four playlist. It's only six episodes long. Season four on this uh, YouTube channel. You got to listen to that. How intimate relationships actually work. Do the entire thing from start to finish. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Love and respect. Because men need respect. They don't care about love as much. They need respect. Women care about love, but not as much as they care about respect. I mean, it's primary versus secondary. And before the SJWs decide to like lynch me, seriously take the time and like stop judging me, you know, a book by its cover and actually listen to the freaking season before like flipping out. That'd be nice. Uh <laughs> So, uh, but anyway, uh, yes, advice, Patricia, yes. Um, so uh, be that as it may, um, 
they have partial compatibility with their perception functions, but decision-making, not so much. And it's not something I would recommend. I, I, I mean, an ENTJ would be better off with an ISTJ. They'd be way better off uh, than, than, like, uh, than an INTJ because the INTJ is going to be just wanting to do what they want to do. The ISTJ is going to be wanting what, to do what they want to do and by themselves potentially, and they're just not really going to match. Not only that, neither of the two are going to be getting their emotional needs met from each other, like at all. It's just not going to happen. So it's, uh, so it ends up being a relationship just about sex. And that's literally all that the relationship is about. And that's not something I recommend for anybody. Mm -hmm. All right. Now this next question is a uh, very interesting. This comes from someone named Ash and they ask, is Eric from talking with famous people arguing that you are an ENTJ because of the mirror effect from e- episode 10, season 15? The answer to that question is likely yes, I would say. Yeah, the mirror effect. Either that or he's uh, really bad at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, either that or he's potentially really bad. I mean, Too many bombs. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm not going to say that he can't learn the type grid and become better at typing. I mean, sure, but he relies too heavily on the letters and the dichotomies, as well as all the stereotypes that have been brought about through socionics, the MBTI in general, and a lot of the MBTI apologists out there. There's a lot of stereotypes that he clings to when he's doing his typings, and he claims that I'm an ENTJ for some reason, but I'm actually not. Uh, and if you actually spend some time watching multiple of my lectures all the way through instead of just doing the five minutes here and the five minutes there. Yeah. Like I'm nothing like ENTJs, like not even real. And even Eric admits that what, how my descriptions of the types are accurate. So when I describe the ENTJ, he's telling, is he really saying that I'm describing myself? No, Mm -hmm. he's not. So he's actually kind of technically contradicting himself there. So, right. Well, I mean, I'm I'm just gonna I'm gonna call you out right here, right now. Some of the questions you answered this video, I kind of felt like you were going Kanye on my ass. So I, I was legitimately wondering if you're gonna start talking about liposuction and your wedding with Kim. Opioids. <laughs> Seven. Opioids. <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Right? I know. So on that note, oh, unless, quick, uh, oh, quick, let me let me just take a bong hit, right? In the middle of the stream. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Oh, all right. Next question. Do you think there's a difference between the two types who have perceiving function as their hero function compared to those with a judging one? Say again. So the question is, do you think there is a difference between the types who have a perceiving function as their hero function compared to those with the judging one? Is there a difference between the types of a perceiving function as their hero function versus ones that have a judging function? Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it goes back to the optimistic versus pessimistic functions, which is talked about in season five and a little bit in, at the end of season one, uh, as playlist here on this YouTube channel and the podcast. Uh, watch those, listen to those, so you can get a better understanding of that. Uh, even though it's like INTJ, INFJ, both those two types have two perceiving functions at the top of their egos, even though they're like J types, but it's because they're introverts, right? So the rules are a little bit different. 
Now, if you use the site Socionics lettering system, the Socionics lettering system is actually technically more accurate than the MBTI lettering system, and I actually prefer the Socionics lettering system. The difference is, is that most people are used to the MBTI lettering system anyway, so I just use that because it's what people are used to, even though I personally technically disagree with it. So if you need mm -hmm. help navigating the content functions in terms of the letters, use the Socionics lettering system. It's actually superior to the MBTI one in every way. So that's how I would answer that right. question. All right. Next question is, heard some theories that INTPs have some of the rawest emotions. Rather than not feeling or being heartless, they actually disassociate and express their, f and sorry, and repress their feelings because they are so intense or they don't know how to deal with thoughts. And perhaps any advice for INTPs struggling with constant internalized anger or anxiety? Thanks. Okay, so so INTPs repressing or suppressing their feelings, they're not actually doing that. Uh, people need to stop saying that about INTPs and FID men. It's not that they're suppressing or repressing or whatever, pressing their feelings. It's just they don't care about their feelings. Their feelings are not a priority to them. The truth, true, false, logos is the priority to them. So they are spending so much time and, and mental investment into logos, aka logic, that they don't have the opportunity to even remotely think about a moral decision. They just don't care. It's not that they're suppressing it. They just don't care. So stop trying to force INTPs to have feelings. Leave them alone. Like seriously, leave them alone. However, because they are so focused on true-false, because they are so focused on logic, they can be very ethical, which allows them to be actually super caring and super supportive, which means that's how they feel. They feel when they are making you feel good. Stop trying to make an INTP feel better. That's literally stupid. Like seriously, stop. And that'll activate their super ego quick and everything will start burning around you before you know it. Stop doing it. Instead, allow them every opportunity to be as supportive to you as possible and to potentially take care of you. And then they will feel good because you feel good about them. If you're not capable of feeling good about them, get away from them. It'll be better off for both of you. Trust me when I say that. So that's how I'd answer that question. Do my sound go up? Oops, sorry. Um, for some reason, I was muted there. The next good. question is, how to develop FE, and from the same person, can people change types? You develop FE by being as uh, caring as possible and potentially selfless uh, and uh, fighting for social justice, basically, uh, making sure things are as fair as possible. And can people change types? Yes, they can temporarily in their adulthood by shifting into the other sides of their mind unless they're able to become fully integrated with all four sides of their mind where there's absolute total harmony. So they could literally use the full band of cognition available to their mind and the four sides of their mind uh, just fine uh, with that. Uh, or uh, unless they have injuries and trauma in adulthood, they can get stuck in a certain side of their mind with basically then it be, that becomes their new ego, which we have seen a few times through injury and mass trauma or torture, et cetera. 
A good example is solitary confinement. Solitary confinement, absolutely. When uh, extroverts are put in solitary confinement for too long, they will come out and introvert. And a lot of cases we have seen that their ego has changed because of how traumatic solitary confinement is. Solitary confinement is one of the most heinous crimes uh, that mankind can do to other fellow human beings. And in my opinion, needs to be completely abolished. Uh, that being said, just, just on psychological principles alone. Uh, that being said, uh, people can also change their type uh, pretty easily uh, when they're children because they move through their quadra very easily. I started out as an ISFJ when I was growing up, and then my sister was born, who was another SFJ, but I was still in that quadra, so I went NTP mode while she was the new SFJ per se. And then uh, after that, some trauma started happening into my in my life, um, like for example, sexual abuse, right? And, and various other forms of difficulties in my life, which ended up causing me to go into my INTJ shadow. And I was in my INTJ shadow, which locked me into the ENTP ego through adolescence. And then as an adult, I came out of my shadow and then I was in my ego at last, my mind healed essentially. So that's how your personality can change over time. So, so yeah. Yeah. Okay. The next question is, I know, I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to it already, but would you ever consider hosting like a retreat or conference with this community that's built? I think it would be great to meet each other. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so actually, if you haven't already, join our meetup group. And the link to the meetup is in all of the lectures on YouTube. And I believe it's also on all the podcasts. Go to the meetup group, even though it says Bay Area uh, Philosophy and Politics. I'm actually going to be changing that to CSJ um, specifically. And we're going to be hosting meetups all around the world. And uh, I'll be hosting those. So, for example, in two weeks' time, there's going to be one in Vegas. Uh, I still haven't gotten the appropriate venue for that. I still have to ask permission from the venue that I was planning on having it at. Uh, that's going to be in Vegas. Uh, after that, there's going to be one in Orlando. And then after that, there's going to be one in Toronto at a minimum. Uh, hoping for one in New York. Hoping one for one in Atlanta, in Columbus as well. And maybe Phoenix. So there's going to be a lot of different meetups. Even though we're going to have our primary meetups in the Bay Area every two weeks. Uh, when I'm flying around for my day job, we're definitely going to be setting up those uh, bigger ones um, in the other uh, locales that I'll be visiting on a regular basis. Uh, so for sure. And thank you, Perry, Annie, for uh, yeah, for telling us that we're going to change the world. Uh, yes, this community is going to change the world. By the time I draw my last breath, the intention is, my intention is with this community that every human being on this planet will have the opportunity of not only understanding themselves, I just found myself, not only understanding themselves completely, but they will also understand every other human being they come into contact with. Whether or not it's physical contact or contact on the internet, they will know to the point where everyone will understand each other right down to their hopes, dreams, aspirations, what makes them happy to their fears, their worries, what makes them weak, weaknesses, all those things, right? And hopefully together we can put a stop to fatherlessness and bring back the mature masculine and the mature feminine so that, you know, this community can change the world for the better. And then guess what? Things like war would be obsolete. So that's kind of where I'm going with this. That's what this community means to me. This is what we are doing. This is why I work so hard, even though like I'm super mega exhausted. And as soon as this is over, I'm going right to bed. 
So, for example. <laughs> yeah. There's Chase trying to develop his FE. I'm going to save the world. Oh, and my SI inferior trying to aspire to <laughs> doing my duty and being honorable about it because this is my, my literal conviction jab. Mm-hmm. Right, how many more questions do you think we should do? Uh, yeah, we are coming up on time here. Uh, yeah, let's just do like three or four. Uh, actually, let's just do um, one more question and then let's get um, some YouTube, uh, some YouTube uh, questions in there as well. I want to. All right. This person comes from a name in Russian, but my acrylic reading is subpar, so I will not attempt to read that. And they ask, do you think that clinical psychology should include personality typing not only as a tool, but as a systematic way to treat psychiatric disorders? In simple terms, do you think MBTI and typology should be more prescient in the therapist's office than it is? Uh, I would say yes, but with an asterisk. Uh, honestly, I'd rather have psychiatric care understand gut and brain microbiota first before actually uh, focusing on you know typology. I would rather have typology uh, be dominant in education uh, and developing uh -huh. proper education strategies for children instead of psychiatric. Because if you're helping in psychiatric with it, you're assuming that it's there to fix problems. How about instead of focusing on fixing problems and fixing our weaknesses, that we as a society actually focus on developing the strengths of our children? That would right. be more useful. So that's that would be the that's how I would answer that question. Also, uh, Jonathan Mercado asks a question uh, in the YouTube. I'm an INFJ with NFP friends, hard to get along with. FI bothers me. They say I'm inauthentic and are jealous when I give others attention. Explain this. Oh, yes. The, uh, <laughs> the FI user, you're not making me a priority thing. You treat everybody else the same, but you don't treat me different. You, if we're close friends, you need to treat me more special than everybody else. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a covert contract and that's actually manipulative. So if you want to have a better relationship with NFP friends, potentially a romantic relationship with them, let me tell you what you do as an INFJ. You criticize them to their <laughs> face, burn them with a dragon fire of your TI child, burn them. I don't care how bad it makes them feel. Grind them into dust with your TI child. Tell them the truth. And do not care the consequences of telling them the truth because they need to hear right. the truth because their SI inferior or their SI child needs to be trained by you. You are the trainer. Pull out that cane, whack, because you're the master at that moment. And the NFPs need to be mastered by the NFJs to prevent them from becoming corrupt or depraved or overly selfish, right? Which don't forget... INFJs, you yourselves can also become corrupt because you're surrounding yourselves with corrupt people, right? Well, if you're not willing, if you're so afraid, like, but I'm an INFJ and I don't really have that many friends. I only have a few friends, just a few here and there. Okay, I mean, that, that was actually a really cool uh, way of doing it. I mean, I only have these these three friends and I don't really make friends that much. And I'm afraid that if I criticize them and SE inferior performance anxiety that I won't actually, you know, be able to make friends again. And I'm just going to alienate them and they're not going to listen to me. And then they're going to abandon me. And then I'm going to be alone. And I hate being alone because I'm an INFJ and I just have to be with my friends. Okay. 
How about like having more faith in yourself? That would be nice. Right. As an NFJ, you have to realize it's actually very easy for you to make friends. And I know that you want to have those very close friends that you're with on like a regular basis. Sure, I get that. But you have to understand that if friends are getting you down because they're corrupting you and you're mirroring them and you're becoming corrupt like them, get the losers out of your life. Here's the thing. Uh-huh. You have every right to criticize them. Your number one purpose as an INFJ is to create better people. The number one mm-hmm. import in your life is specifically to improve others. You have to improve other human beings. And here's the thing. If you're criticizing these people for their benefit and holding them accountable, right, you know, to the right standard, to the right thing, doing the right thing, being a good person, et cetera, and they're not listening to you, that makes them a loser. Get the losers out of your life. That's basically what you have to do as an INFJ. Breathe that dragon fire on them. It's good for them. It makes them into diamonds. You want these people to be good people, good diamonds, really shiny. Don't forget diamonds are flawed, right? That's what makes them beautiful. So don't recognize that you're going to make them to these perfect human beings because perfect human beings are actually worthless. And don't be focused on the ideal, but you have to be willing to criticize them because the fires are the only things that are going to burn the lies away. Because guess what? NFPs over time, they collect lies, lies about themselves, lies that they tell others. They don't even know. They didn't even realize that they're lies. And then they become those lies themselves. You have to use your TI credit to burn the lies away. That's what hellfire literally is for. You go to hell, not because you did something wrong, but because they're trying to save your soul because they're trying to burn the lies away. That's like an old story from like, I don't know. Was that Dante's Inferno? I have no idea. Probably wasn't, but like I'm quoting somebody when I say that actually. Uh, But yeah, that's, that's how I would uh, answer that question for sure. Hopefully I answered your question on that one. Yeah. I, I mean, I, if I can cut in, I, I actually literally criticized an INFP within the past six hours. Yeah. And, they're like, and, then, and they said to me, why did you have to make it hurt? And I said, because I care about you. You know, I want you to become a better person because I genuinely want the best for you. And if I want the best for you, then sometimes I need to tell you the hard truth. You know, I'm kind of like a doctor. You know, it's going to hurt before it gets a lot better. And the thing is, if there is an inherent problem with something you're doing or, and I don't tell you about it, I'm allowing that problem to exacerbate and become worse and potentially damage who you are or who you have the potential to be. And the thing is, can I really say I care about you if I ignore something that is hurting you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree. Right. I, I, I completely right. agree. So yeah, let's let's do the rest of the uh, let's do the um, a couple of questions in the YouTube just real fast. Um, all right, all right. So Stanimir uh, Willikolf is saying, "Are you using SI or SE when you meditate? And are you focusing on breathing or sensations in your body?" It's usually SI. However, if you're doing it with other people, it's actually SE because you may actually be trying to mirror like an instructor when you're doing meditation and their movements, etc. cetera. Uh, one of the best meditation books that I recommend, there's two of them, The Warrior Within by John Little, uh, which is uh, Bruce Lee's uh, philosophy, or The Way of the Superior Man by David Data. He is an INFJ. He kind of wrote it for INFPs, basically, uh, but it's applicable to everyone. I read both those books and you'll kind of have a better idea on how to grasp meditation techniques. You can kind of see how the introverted sensing from Bruce Lee's uh, ideology versus the extroverted sensing from David Data's ideology kind of weave together into one uh, total narrative when it comes to uh, meditation. So hopefully that answers your question. Okay. Uh, Can you make something about how to improve every function? I'm kind of technically doing that right now with season 16. 
so I hope that is good enough. Um, do certain types prefer a certain music genre? Absolutely. SPs like really like death metal for some reason, for example, <laughs> whereas uh, NPs really like electronica and EDM. You know what I mean? So yeah, there's definitely uh, where that is. Uh, also, let's see what else there is. One more question. Just just one one Let's go with Floyd Dag. Why do ITPs tend to be lazy and jobless and apathetic towards everything? Uh, because from their point of view, why bother? Because if everyone else is not going to give them a good experience, if everyone else is not going to value them for their intelligence, why even bother? Because mm-hmm. And they get stuck in their comfort zone because of that, when reality is they need to have this thing called self-control and self-discipline. Oh, yeah, that's like literally what Hello. they need. Hello, yeah, like literally. So go in that direction. That's what they need. That's what they have to do. So understand that self-discipline is, is the key to success for an INTP. But if you want to make yourself more intelligent as an INTP, focus on supporting and helping others. If you do that, you will automatically make your TI hero even more intelligent where no one will be able to challenge your thinking ever as long as you're helping people. If you're not helping people, you're at risk of regressing and becoming really potentially ignorant with your head in the sand and no use to anyone. I don't recommend that. And also stuck in your um, and stuck in your uh, uh, comfort zone. All right. We're going to end it here? Yeah, we're going to end it here. Um, so, it. yeah, I'm going to tell Linda Nemery, um, make him as uncomfortable as possible. That's basically how I'd answer that question. So, so yeah, uh, thank you, folks, for being with us on the stream tonight. Uh, it was fantastic to see you here. And uh, also thank you to those who did the super chat with us tonight. Much appreciated. Uh, all of the money gets reinvested back into the community and uh, with what we're doing here at CSJ as we're uh, building this company in an attempt to uh, save the world or change the world, actually, for the better. Uh, so based on that, uh, thank you all very much. We'll see you on our next live stream, which is going to be Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. We're doing Tuesdays and Thursdays for our live streams at 9 Eastern. Uh, uh-huh. Hopefully we'll have the GoPro working by then. Also, tomorrow yep. night, we are premiering Season 16, Episode 5 at 9 Eastern. I will be available for uh, the, the chat. So we're going to have a chat just like this. Uh, we're all going to be watching Season 16, Episode 5 together. Uh, it will be releasing there. I'll be online for it. Uh, I think the chat will be open 30 minutes before it actually starts. And uh, you can interact with me as we're all watching uh, the uh, lecture together. I will say that... Uh, this episode is going to be potentially just as powerful as episode four, if you know what I mean. I I, I think I did yell at the camera a few times on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be great. So that's uh, Friday night, tomorrow night at uh, at nine uh, at nine p.m. Eastern. Uh, so uh, be there, uh, and I think we'll uh, do absolutely awesome. So anyway, uh, y'all have a good night and uh, thanks for being here and we'll see you tomorrow night. Talk to you all later. Later. Later, Gator. Woo! You did it.